0: Dynamic Diversity Bringing us together like we're supposed to be Dynamic Magazine We're all different, but we can learn from each other Yeah, from each other In
1: Dynamic, Dynamic Magazine
2: Hello, this is Dynamic Diversity Unfiltered, Dynamic Leaders for a Changing World Magazine's premier podcast. We bring you the voices of today's renowned societal leaders and average folks talking about what they do, how they got there, and what they're thinking about in the controversial world of diversity, inclusion, and race relations. In this episode...
0: The second fastest growing demographic, a household more specifically, second fastest growing household demographic in America are mixed-race households. That means that in the next 20 years, the average American family is going to be mixed. Mixed religious, mixed race, mixed culture, cross-racial adoption.
1: Dynamic Future Leaders. In each issue of Dynamic, we introduce our readers to some of America's future leaders. In this issue, Northern Arizona University freshman and NAU lumberjack quarterback Rodney Thompson San Diego State University sophomore and SDSU cheerleader Angelica Gomez and St. Augustine junior student and Saints football team's defensive back Lamar Thompson interview cover feature Teja Arboleda.
2: Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with the dynamic future leaders today. Mm -hmm. So we'll start with the first question. So could you please provide a brief personal history of how you came to be involved in media and producing?
0: Uh, Let's see. Well, I... I moved from Japan to the United States when I was 19 and I uh had been thinking at the time that I <clears throat> wanted to study uh uh media production at the time it was just called filmmaking uh to tell uh stories about uh race and culture and I wasn't really quite sure what that meant but I I had liked Watching documentaries at the time about difficult issues around the world, uh, somewhat because my father had worked for the United Nations so being influenced by my dad and my mom, I wanted to continue sort of what they were doing, but in a way that um, that I enjoyed as a as a future filmmaker so when I came to the states, I went to Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts, where I first started studying uh, political science and then very quickly uh, decided to design my own major, uh, combining sociology and filmmaking, uh, I thought that might be a good path. So I eventually then um, became a documentary filmmaker. So uh, and as I'm still doing the same kind of work. I tell stories uh, uh, using different Kinds of media, different platforms to tell difficult, complex stories about identity.
2: Great. So, having had all those experiences, like doing your diversity and having, you know, seen your father and your mother and everyone go through stuff, why do you believe that diversity is important in media and why everyone should, you know, kind of experience it for themselves?
0: Well, I think that storytelling needs to be compelling, interesting, entertaining, needs to get it needs to keep people interested because otherwise if you if you make if you tell a story in whatever form you do that doesn't keep people's interest it's not doing anybody any good. The difficulty and the problem with standard traditional, let's say Hollywood Broadway Disney type of storytelling is not that the stories aren't compelling or interesting or keeps people interested. Uh, it's that they are very often skewed. They um, are packed with stereotypes and assumptions. And that is in many ways more damaging uh, because it happens in the privacy of your own home and the privacy of your own viewing space. And there isn't really much discussion about, the consequences of that uh, in school uh, uh, and in the media at, in people's homes. So what happens is that we grow up believing that the world is one way because of what we see in the media. And as storytellers, it's our job, at least I think my job, is to squash some of that and help people tell their own story. And that story is very diverse. It's very complex and interesting and it's international. It's, it's mixed. It's about female perspective. It's about uh, African-American perspective. It's about uh, Asian, uh, Asian-American perspective, whatever, it's j- just in this country alone. Um, so unless we put in the hands of other people, the equipment they need and the technology and the ways in which they need to tell their story, all we're ever going to have, for the most part, are stories told by the dominant culture. So um, I have been a mentor to thousands of kids um, and young people over the years, uh, just as a college, professor, a college professor and as an educator, um, to help kind of these people – Gets to a position where they can tell their own stories.
3: Of course. Um, Willis Lamar, well, I'd like to ask my question, which is, what have been the strengths and the drawbacks of a minority working in media, and how have your accomplishments affected the perception of minorities in leadership-producing positions?
0: Hmm. Good question. Uh, when I first graduated college, I did not even think about what the uh ramifications would be of someone like myself, not only being a minority but also uh um, being a different kind of thinker i i i didn't I just didn't buy into the rules and regulations within the standard operations of any kind of media production. So when I walked into my first job in news uh, um, and having just paid attention to news early in my life because my dad and my mom and I used to just, and my brother and I used to just discuss news almost every night at the dinner table, um, I had a different perspective. But that, those perspectives were not regarded as being valuable because I did not look, act or I didn't respond the same way they would expect. So I was in a, to a certain extent, I was I was kind of a rogue, but I I held my own. I'll give you an example. Um, by the time I was the uh, uh, assistant director editor for Frontline on PBS, and if you don't know, Frontline is probably the most prominent documentary series in, in the world, uh, political and social issues. Um, and so there's a lot of influence that Frontline has on the world. So I was one day... Uh, walking to visit a friend of mine at WGBH-TV in Boston, which is the, mother state, the PBS Mother Station. And uh, this was in the area where uh, local programming took place. And one of the local programming departments is La Plaza, which is the Hispanic Community Programming. And so I was walking to visit a friend of mine who worked there. She's a producer. And I uh, walked through someone's office area, and the guy asked me to take out the trash. So, playing that role just to see what the reactions were, I, I took out the trash for him, and then I think it must have been a week or later or so. Uh, I was in the cafeteria with my colleagues at Frontline discussing one of the shows we were producing, and he saw me sitting with the colleagues. And I think at that point he realized that, you know, I I was giving him a chance to figure out what his particular issues were. And we later had a conversation about that, you know, what his assumptions were about me, um, that um, I took on that role just to see how he would respond. And so I guess he appreciated that. And, you know, moments like that are very common in, in terms of what the what the limitations are, the glass ceiling is for many people. And so as a thought leader, I have always maintained my position when i believe something is right you know when i believe that what i'm doing is the right thing to do and it's very challenging because in this industry in the entertainment industry and in television and filmmaking everything is it's kind of like the military where there's a standard operating procedure for everything you know you always answer upward it's a very vertical kind of experience so uh anything that stands outside of the norm is already a challenge so when you have people like uh, let's say Tyler Perry, or you have Jay Z, or you have um, you know you have uh, uh, people who are very prominent. Uh, often the assumption is that they got there because they're being they're really stepping outside of the bounds, but in fact they're not really because in most cases television has to be challenging. So as a as a as a thought leader, as a as a <laughs> someone who likes to uh, disrupt uh um my my perspective is in some respects unknown because i because i'm mixed race and because i grew up in japan that uh that the way i see things is very different often from my colleagues and as young people i would hope that you know you have these moments where you know that you're being marginalized where you where you take a stand you know you say no this is this is not right this is not my story this is not our story and in order to tell our story if we have to circumnavigate the standard operating procedures then let's do that you know and then uh it's so much easier to get support when you when you take a stand because most people are not strong enough
1: to lead Good afternoon,
3: Mr. Arboleda. This is Rodney Thompson, uh, a senior at Santa Augustine High School. And I'm going to uh, change the topic of discussion a little bit. And I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I'm sure you've come across a lot of powerful leaders, you know, doing what you, what you do. So I wanted to ask you, can you name a person who's had a tremendous impact on you as a leader and why?
0: The first is um, my art teacher, uh, when I was in middle school uh I was sort of a class clown <laughs> um, and i i I knew I wanted to be an artist when i was when I was a young person, but i didn't know exactly what it meant. One day, I was acting up in class, and my favorite teacher, Maureen Merritt, my art teacher um She came up to me, and she got very stern with me. Basically, what she said uh, was something to the effect of, if you don't settle down and get serious about yourself and this world, you're never going to be a successful artist. And it was that moment, literally, and I remember that moment so often. It was that moment when I realized that art, is as important as math and science and everything else. And uh, it was the most profound moment for me as a young person, because here is a a wiser person, and uh, uh, an older person, my mentor, my teacher, who was a working artist and a teacher. And she was saying to me, essentially. I know that you can be more than what you what you're doing right now. So if you don't handle yourself now, you're not going to succeed and you'll be unhappy. So as a leader, I've always looked to her and I think about her maybe at least once a month. Uh and you know, I'm 55 now and I'm I'm, I'm st- I still remember that moment. So uh a- as a leader myself, I'm often very strict with my students Uh, not because I have to be uh, all the time because let's say they're unruly like I was uh, but because art in America is not taken seriously. Uh, It's not taken seriously. Uh, Art teachers are the first to get fired in this country. Art teachers are the first to be laid off. Uh, When someone says I want to go into the arts it's not taken seriously. You know they people say things like you know that's nice, honey. Why don't you try something different? And um, it, it's such a it's such a very profound thing because everyone needs the arts. Everyone watches movies. Everyone watches television. Everyone uh, looks at manga and anime. And you know it's, it, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. So to think that learning the arts uh, is not important is to say that the way the world we live in is unimportant, and so I look to be uh, a leader like that who can help instill pride in what people do.
1: That would be one example. All right,
3: all right. Um, I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, if you could name someone who's been a mentor to you, it sounded like that our teacher. Uh, was a, a good mentor to you, but uh, I just wanted to see if you had if someone who was a mentor to you and uh, how this person impacted your life.
0: So, do you know Key and Peele?
3: Uh, yes, of course I do.
0: Okay, yeah, right. Well, so um, Jordan Peele of Key and Peele, I have followed for a long time. Uh, I, having spent years as a comedian um, and using humor a lot, I really, I really respect their very intelligent humor and their humorous approach to complicated stories. Many of them are pretty complicated, although they make it seem simple. Um, His latest movie get out uh, for me is a very powerful way in which to embed social consciousness in a narrative story that is very respected by Hollywood. The, uh, if, if it's, if it's business, And, you know, Hollywood is a business and movie making is a business. That's mostly what it is. As a business, he is the he is his film has made more money as a black male filmmaker than any other in the past. And so what that and and the 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 cost of making the movie was relatively low compared compared to most Hollywood movies. So he was he managed to not only. Um, financially succeed in making this movie and making a profit for the studio. But better than that, he was able to embed in the story some very critical things that are very difficult to talk about today in this society. So he was able to do a number of things and do it with uh, grace and do it with intelligence and do it with humor and do it with drama. And um I I look to people like that that inspire me to uh to keep moving forward. He's also uh mixed race like myself. His m- mother's white, father's black. Actually both of them, but both Key and Peel are both uh biracial. So, you know, the the difficulty of identifying with uh with race in that context like our former president Obama is uh is something that is the that that narrative is very common today in the United States. So, even in just that respect alone, I'm I'm very grateful to have someone like that as a, um, in my mind, a potential mentor.
1: Hmm. Okay. And then, I also wanted to ask, you know, what are the most important decisions you make as a leader, whether they're, you know, voiced like to the media or they're more quiet. What are
0: the most important decisions you think you make as a leader? Uh, my my master's degree in education. My thesis was essentially on how to create effective teams on college campuses, specifically in the arena of filmmaking. One of the things that I found early on coming to the states was that the idea of group and team is not something that's inherent in everyday teaching, whether it's at home or in school, meaning that uh, when I became a professor in uh, in filmmaking, I understood very quickly that one of the first things I needed to do with my students was to learn how to work as a team. Uh, Not that it's a bad thing that, that young people don't know, but it's an essential thing, especially in an industry like filmmaking, because I said earlier, it's a very hierarchical a relationship so um the the uh, an effective leader in this case is someone who can help the team harness the skills they have to work most efficiently to be most productive and to me and, and, and to complete whatever task it is so let's say uh, as a college professor, I understood quickly too that in most cases. I'd say 80% of the m- m- young men wanted to be directors. Not necessarily producers, but directors. The next were uh that they the males wanted to be camera people. And then the next were to be um actors. For the women, it was different, which was disturbing because most of my most of my majority of my female students didn't really think that they could be directors, they didn't think that they could be producers, they didn't think that they could be editors or cinematographers. And partly that's because of the the place in which women uh, and men are, are, are uh, sort of positioned when they're young and they're learning about what kind of careers they can get into. So my job as a teacher wasn't just to teach them the technology and the theory of filmmaking but my job, I always saw as a mentor and as a leader, would be to help them understand what their potential were, what the what their potentials were. So if I could, I help them identify very quickly that, let's say, they had very good visual skills and they they could learn some of the technology quickly. Um, eventually, two of my female students became uh, um, editors for uh, uh, ESPN, and ESPN being a sports channel, as you can imagine, it's mostly men. But these two women went on to become senior video editors at ESPN. And that means a lot to me because that meant that I was – I played just a minor role maybe in helping them identify some things that they could do that would empower and, – and both of them are minorities. One of them is, is Asian-American. The other one is African-American. They, they, they had um, – they, they were given opportunities or rather they were able to find opportunities. Partly because of of my help, and um, that those are the kind of things that I'm very proud of um, in in being a leader.
1: Uh,
3: well. Uh, well, saying that, I want to ask you. You know, what's the most important to you? Like, out of the, the three things, being you know the mission, you know that you're on your core values. Or the vision that you build and see. Uh, I was wondering which is more important to you out of those three, and why?
1: Hmm. Well, I I guess vision is
3: a very,
0: it's a very complex. Where I mean, it's it's easy to to give a quote. You know, what's my vision or what's my company vision? Um, I have quotes that are in my email tags and such. Um, I think that ultimately the most important thing for, for me is to help people connect. I I think that's always been the case. And I try to do that in different ways. I'm not always successful, but when I look at people, I have spent years learning how to adjust to their own complexities. Not give you an example. Uh, um, the the words that we often use t- to describe ourselves are very limiting, in, in, in you know, in themselves. So, for example, African American or Asian American or Hispanic American, that kind of thing. That mm-hmm. we're a lot more complicated than just those those words. Uh, everything that's inside us, the the way we are, who we are, religiously, uh, uh, ethnically, culturally. What languages do we speak? Where do we grow up? Uh, Straight or gay, you know, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever it is, that all of those concentric circles make a very complex person. So helping people connect is uh, in terms of all these things and that being part of my mission. I I think that's probably the most important thing that I can do.
1: I hope that answers the question.
2: Yeah, it did. Thank you. Hi, Mr. i from Halika again. The following questions will be returning back to the topic of leaders, and I was just wondering, what is one characteristic that you believe every leader should possess?
0: Hmm. What is one quality that every leader has?
2: Yes, or that should have. Uh,
0: yeah. I. I. You know, a good word would be conviction.
1: you know it's it's
0: if if you graduate with a masters in business and then you walk into a corporation and you get a job at upper level management and you don't know anything about the way the business actually runs in in my mind it's really that's almost doing a disservice to the whole company because uh, the standard operating procedures are very complicated. If you don't know how food services works and the people who take out the garbage all the way up to the C-suites, meaning the CEO and the CFO and the CIO and all those folks, that, that whole world, that whole machine, uh, that that's a it's either well-oiled or it's not. But it's very difficult to walk into a situation and just assume a role. Con- conviction, I think, as a le- conviction being a a word that you can attach to a leader, I think is important because it takes a long time to be committed, and really committed, honestly, to a particular mission or a particular direction. And uh, um, yeah, so I, I think that that word probably resonates most with me.
2: Okay, and adding on with the following uh, follow-up question, what characteristic do you personally have as a leader that sets you aside from maybe other leaders?
0: What sets me aside from other leaders?
1: <laughs>
0: oh boy. Um and you know, and I'm going to preface that with I'm not sure if it if it's a negative or a positive, but does it set me aside? And and negative positive doesn't necessarily mean bad or good either. It just means that it's perceived as negative or positive. And I think that would be um that I'm agnostic and un and unattached, meaning that when I'm in a position where I have to make decisions, it's not about me. It's usually about the bigger picture. So if I think that the best Solution is to take a different path that no one's taken before and then charge ahead, knowing that it may fail, but just trying it to see if this might be the best solution um, isn't always taken very well because people are comfortable. And I don't like to be comfortable. I, I don't even know if that means much to many people, but I. I just don't like to be comfortable. I, I've, been, I've been homeless. So after college, uh, I was homeless for about three and a half months uh, on the streets of Boston and Cambridge. And during that period of time, I learned a lot about myself and the world. Uh, it was a dangerous and difficult time. I don't remember it fondly, but I do, I do respect having had that experience you know uh sleeping on park benches and under parked trucks and stealing food from convenience stores you know that that's what i did uh i had to um i even threw rocks at limousines because i i couldn't at the time understand what this divide was between wealthy and and the poor uh in this very powerful wealthy country i just couldn't i couldn't wrap it around my head i i i couldn't I couldn't figure it out. So, um, being able to solve a problem often requires a person or a group to dig even deeper, sometimes, dig outside of the line. Uh, And that means stepping away from the standard operating procedures. And so, that doesn't work well for a lot of people who are just comfortable. So, in order to charge ahead, Sometimes we have to get uncomfortable. And it's a, it's, it's a very painful thing sometimes. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. Being a leader doesn't mean just, you know, sitting on your laurels and, you know, uh, uh, um, buying an expensive car and, you know, uh, just take, soaking it all in. Being a leader means taking chances um, where you may actually put yourself out of a job. You know, because it may not work, but sometimes you have to take those chances. So, you know, that's that's I think what might set
1: me apart from from some others.
2: Wow, that's amazing that you overcame such adversities. But I have a, another question. Um, what is the yeah. biggest challenge facing leaders today?
1: I think that many leaders are
0: comfortable. And, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier. So a couple of interesting things about demographics. The second fastest growing demographic, a household, I think more specifically, second fastest household demographic in America are mixed race households. That means that in the next 20 years, the average American family is going to be mixed. Mixed religious, mixed race, mixed culture, cross racial adoption. That's the second fastest growing household demographic. So that means that means that if leaders don't connect with numbers, and if the Census Bureau and if the government doesn't connect with the numbers, and if Matt Damon Charlotte Johansson, Tilda Swinton, and everyone else doesn't connect with the numbers. If people don't connect with the numbers and with the facts, they're not going to be able to market their stuff to us, meaning most people. They're not going to be successful in reaching us, meaning most people. And most leaders are comfortable. They're comfortable with how they've done things for forever. Hollywood is comfortable with the, the way they've done things forever. So they're going to have the white savior who goes in and saves China, as in the Great Wall. They'll have the white savior who is supposed to be Japanese, meaning Scarlett Johansson. And the numbers show that in filmmaking alone, Hollywood doesn't get it. They don't hire actors of color. They don't give them awards and and um and that's how it all works and i think that because these leaders especially in my industry in the entertainment industry are just so opposed to really harnessing the reality of who we are that in the end they're going to lose so as a leader myself i step out of that box and i say all right who do we have to tell stories about us that doesn't require them to get us on that platform. I I think those are the things that that they're missing and that they're unwilling to adjust to. And yeah, and, and I'm gonna I preface that with I'm not sure if it if it's a negative or a positive, but does it set me aside? And and negative positive doesn't necessarily mean bad or good either. It just means that it's perceived as negative or positive. And I think that would be um, that. I'm agnostic and un and unattached, meaning that when I'm in a position where I have to make decisions, it's not about me. It's usually about the bigger picture. So if I think that the best solution is to take a different path that no one's taken before, and then charge ahead, knowing that it may fail, but just trying it to see if this might be the best solution, um, isn't always taken very well, because people are comfortable, and I don't like to be comfortable. I, I don't even know if that means much to many people, but I I just don't like to be comfortable. I I've been I've been homeless, so after college. Uh, I was homeless for about three and a half months uh, on the streets of Boston and Cambridge. And during that period of time, I learned a lot about myself and the world. Uh, It was a dangerous and difficult time. I don't remember it fondly, but I do, I do respect having had that experience, you know, uh, sleeping on park benches and under parked trucks and stealing food from convenience stores you know that that's what i did uh i had to um, I even threw rocks at limousines because i i couldn't at the time understand what this divide was between wealthy and and the poor uh in this very powerful wealthy country i just couldn't i couldn't wrap it around my head i i i couldn't i couldn't figure it out so um Being able to solve a problem often requires a person or a group to dig even deeper, sometimes dig outside of the line. Uh, And that means stepping away from the standard operating procedures. And so that doesn't work well for a lot of people who are just comfortable. So in order to charge ahead, sometimes we have to get uncomfortable. And it's a, it's, it's a very painful thing. Sometimes it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Being a leader, doesn't mean just, you know, sitting on your laurels and, you know, uh, uh, um, buying an expensive car and, you know, uh, just take soaking it all in being a leader means taking chances um, where you may actually put yourself out of a job, you know, because it may not work, but, Sometimes you have to take those chances, so you know that's
1: that's I think what might set me apart from
0: from some others.
2: Wow, that's amazing that you've overcame such adversities, but I have a, another question um what is yeah. the biggest challenge facing leaders today?
1: I think that many leaders are
0: Comfortable, And, I, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, so a couple of interesting things about demographics. The second fastest growing demographic, a household more specifically, second fastest household demographic in America are mixed race households. That means that in the next 20 years, the average American family is going to be mixed, mixed religious, mixed race, mixed culture, cross-racial adoption. That's the second fastest growing household demographic. So that means that that if leaders don't connect with numbers and if the Census Bureau and if the government doesn't connect with the numbers and if Matt Damon, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, and everyone else doesn't connect with the numbers. If people don't connect with the numbers and with the facts, they're not going to be able to market their stuff to us, meaning most people. They're not going to be successful in reaching us, meaning most people, and most leaders are comfortable they're comfortable with how they've done things for forever. Hollywood is comfortable with the the way they've done things forever, so they're going to have they're going to have the white savior who goes in and saves China, as in the Great Wall. They'll have the white savior who is supposed to be Japanese, meaning Scarlett Johansson. And the numbers show that in filmmaking alone, Hollywood doesn't get it. They don't hire actors of color. They don't give them awards. And and that's how it all works. And I think that because these leaders, especially in my industry, in the entertainment industry, are just so
1: opposed
0: to really harnessing the reality of who we are, that in the end they're going to lose. So as a leader myself, I step out of that box and I say, all right, who do we have to tell stories about us that doesn't require them to get us on that platform? I I think those are the things that that they're missing and that they're unwilling to adjust to.
2: What is one mistake that you witness leaders making more frequently than others?
0: Uh, Well, recently, uh, only several days ago, uh, the CEO of United Airlines made a really terrible mistake. Uh, He uh, got on camera and he said essentially that this uh, Chinese gentleman, uh, Chinese American gentleman, who was beaten by by the TSA in the airplane for refusing to get up, as we all we've all seen this thing, it's been played out over and over again. The CEO not only refused to apologize on behalf of United Airlines, but he also it was kind of a victims shaming thing, like you know he it was his fault, and then he continued down that track over and over again. And then a day later, another guy. In first class, no less, but a white guy was uh, threatened to be handcuffed. This is in, I think, the LA Times or New York Times. Threatened to be, to be handcuffed because he didn't want to get up for oh, someone else. Uh, and so, uh, as a leader, you'd think that <laughs> you'd think that, you know, uh, especially because of social media and how it just very quickly takes over. You'd think that a leader of a prominent Airlines, internationally recognized airline, would do otherwise. Bad leadership, terrible leadership, and but what that did, what that does too, is it not only affects the the uh, the image of United Airlines, it affects everyone's job. Everyone from the flight attendants to the pilots to uh, everybody who works in food services, everyone is affected by his statements. Bad leadership. And and that also bleeds out to other airlines because then people wonder, well, is JetBlue going to do the same thing? Is American Airlines going to do the same thing? And the domino effect of that is is horrible. It's just terrible leadership. And I think that those mistakes um, need to be recognized as being the ones that other people can fix. If if this guy uh, was not Chinese-American – here's the question, though. If this guy was not Chinese American, let's say he was a blonde blonde white woman, uh, let's say very sort of Hollywood standard attractive and whatever, would she have been treated the same way? My guess is no. And yet this guy who was beaten, he's he's a neurologist, he's a doctor.
3: Yes, Lamar here again. So uh my question is, what is one behavior or trait you have seen derail more leaders than others?
0: I think one trait that derails leaders is not listening uh a very important thing for any kind of leader is to listen and as a documentary filmmaker uh i i I've learned how to listen. It wasn't easy when I was younger because you know i I like to talk
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um listening listening uh gives us the opportunity to hear people's stories, and stories are what move the world. If you don't listen to people's stories, there's no way to know why they can and cannot do something. So if, as a leader, someone who works for you says, I wasn't able to complete that mission. I wasn't able to complete that task. It's easy for a leader to say, well, it was your job, so, you know, you're fired. That's easy, that's easy to say for let's say the the you know the c e o of Walmart that'd be easy to say that, but to listen to the person's story to ask the question why why you know what's your story? where are you coming from what what happened to you yesterday? Oh, now I understand that our son was your son was sick, you had to pick him up from school and you were afraid to tell me that because you were afraid that it would affect your job and your performance. Well, how can I help you? Because I know that you're a good worker. How can I help you achieve what you need to do in a time that, that that you're given? And if not, let's figure out a way to hand it off to someone else if, if need be, because ultimately the task needs to get done. Many leaders don't listen. They don't, they don't even ask the uh, questions about, about their employees or their mentees. Uh, listening is one of those things that is difficult for many leaders and that needs to be done more.
1: Hmm.
3: I agree with that. That's a, that's a good answer. My next question is, what advice would you give someone going to a leadership position for the first time?
0: Hmm. You go into a leadership position for the first time,
1: uh ask questions.
0: If you if you <laughs> and I just I was just in a meeting uh yesterday and um I asked a question and no one raised their hand. Uh and I was expecting more questions to be raised uh just because that's a way to get involved you know um so i would ask questions because <clears throat> a good leader is going to listen as i said so they're going to listen one way to open up conversation is to ask questions we all have questions uh you're not going to know what those questions are until you're asked so a good mentee a good person who's go- a person who's going into becoming a leader needs to ask A lot of questions.
1: Okay. And my final question is, what do you like to ask other leaders when you get the chance? I like to ask leaders if they have um, uh, if they have stepped in the trenches. I
0: think a very effective show Although it's staged and it's you know it's reality television, which is not real. The word reality, real in reality television doesn't really exist. It is staged. It's scripted. But the series, uh, um, something boss, where they they take the role of an employee, what's it called, uh, undercover boss. The series undercover boss, I think, is good in one way because it shows that. Many leaders don't know what goes into um, or, or rather what everyone else does uh, in, I guess it's a, in a hierarchical sense below them or, f- or rather for them. So stepping into the trenches is essential. There was a, a pilot for a TV series I produced a few years ago called Trade Secrets and we had spent uh, quite a while at Massachusetts General Hospital, taking a look at all of the different gears and cogs that make a hospital like that run. There are thousands of people who work there, food services all the way up to president and the executive team and middle management, doctors and uh, nurses and all that. And uh, we start at the bottom. You know, these are the people who feed everybody during the day. You know, without getting fed, there's you know your your hand's gonna be shaky, and next thing you know your suture looks pretty silly um so uh yeah, stepping into the trenches is essential uh I think as i mentioned earlier i i I like to know if leaders really know what goes into it i i I can't have full respect for someone who doesn't know every rivet. Every gear, every cog, that runs their machine.
3: Okay, um, Rodney, back again. What I wanted to ask um, was, what are a few resources you would recommend for someone, you know, trying to gain insight on a, a media they're pursuing? Yeah, um,
0: interva- uh,
1: um, uh, informational interviews.
0: So, for example, if you're interested in a particular industry or a type of job, uh, uh, ask to spend some time with someone or a group, even if you're just observing. And if you're allowed to ask questions, ask questions. There'll be many of them. Uh, It's very difficult to read a book about a job. Rather, no, it's easy to read a book about a job. It's difficult to really understand what it means. So uh, informational interviews or rather a you know, volunteer or internship or even just an observation day is really powerful because you get to observe um, the mistakes, the successes, the rough edges, the smooth lines, uh, the emotion, um, and, the, and the technique in real time and that could mean anything. It could mean filmmaking, it could mean uh working in a hospital, it could mean uh in, in a in, in a courtroom, it could mean at the state house, uh, you know, it could be almost anything and and ask people questions. You know, spend a day, two, a week, a month if you can, uh, every now and then. Um, asking some questions, you know, what, what, what did you like? about And it doesn't even have to be necessarily a position that you would want, but because all positions are intertwined, just knowing how someone feels about their job tells you a lot. So if you're at a supermarket and you walk up to the checkout lane and the person behind the cashier, so the cashier looks at you or doesn't look at you and says hello or doesn't say hello Um, is on her cell phone or is talking to someone else, doesn't really regard you, never says thank you, um, doesn't even pack your bag, if that's how they do it in this particular supermarket, then you know that you probably don't want to work here, you know, because they're either unhappy with their job or no one really cares. But it doesn't mean that you wouldn't want to work, let's say, at another supermarket. So there's something about not the industry, but it's about this particular place. So having that perspective, did, um, you can get pretty quickly.
3: Did you have a person you, uh, like, did what you do? Did you have a person that you asked questions to, which sort of helped you oh, figure out? Oh, yeah.
0: You know? And I still do. My mentor in college uh, is still my mentor. His name is Stephen Dorado. He's at Clark University. And uh, I've known him since I was 19. I'm now fifty five and he's still my mentor. I will still email him or call him. Of course, I now teach at Clark, which is where I went to school, so i I could visit him. But he and I would spend you know an hour here and there just reviewing a film. He was so beautiful in that sense, just giving his time to a young person like myself at the time, where we we would uh we would watch a film. And just discuss it. We would dissect it. And he loved doing that. Or we'd look at photographs and we'd talk about the arrangement of the objects in the photograph, why it worked or why it didn't work. And even if it was 10 minutes and I would ask him questions like, well, I don't know. I mean, this doesn't seem to work for me. What what do you think? Or um, how would you have done this better? And he was always so very good about giving me his honest opinion. Sometimes it wasn't even really an answer. Some sometimes it was more like a, a question to a question. Like, well, uh, why don't you go out and try this yourself? See if this works for you. How would you do do this differently? And that's the kind of leadership that I think works for me, and the type of person and leader that I like to be. But he is still someone that I can go to. Uh, and there are many. There are many in different industries who I, who I refer to. I have a list of people. That I contact on a regular basis, just to make sure that I'm still going in the in the right direction. And I think that, and I'm also someone that people call upon frequently, uh, as we're doing today, just to kind of go over, you know, where we're all at. Um, Having a long term relationship with a mentor uh, is really, it's really, uh, it's really quite um, effective. Uh, I have two people who just approached me three days ago, two students of mine who are not even in my department. Uh, they just took a class with me a couple of years ago, and uh, they asked me to be their mentor. So I said yes, um, and
1: I I want to see them through.
3: Well, well, when you're talking about your mentor, it sounds like you had a, you know, a strong, strong connection with him. And I was wondering, you know, nowadays you need to have – Multiple connections to get to where you want to go. Like you have to know uh, certain people. So I was wondering, you know, who's been a, you know, a big connection that you've had that's really helped you get to where you're at today. Uh, <clears throat> uh
0: one of my, uh, someone who's now a colleague, uh, used to be, uh, I used to work with her at. Uh, WGBH TV in Boston, uh, PBS. She was a producer there and I was an editor and we worked on a couple of projects together. She's African-American. She's also a comedian. Uh, Through the years, we've worked on different projects, but I, I often go to her because she's helped me sort of work through different areas of the industry. So when it was television, she guided me often um, in that world. And then when I was doing stand-up, she guided me in that world. Um, And as a writer, uh, she also helped guide me in in that world. So um, uh, I think that there are some leaders who are uh, they they live in, in different worlds and can help people figure out what it is that, that they can do better in that particular world. Um, so she she is still, and she's a good friend of mine, and she's still, uh, she and I still talk at least once a week um, about different things. We're working on two projects right now together.
1: That's awesome. I'm sorry, what did you say her name was again? Her name? Yes. Uh, her name is uh, Deborah Farrar
0: Parkman. And she's a she's a comedian. She's a producer. She got has two Emmy awards. Um, and she's, she's just a, a beautiful person. She's very casual, down to earth, very real, Perfect. but really smart and very st- strategic.
3: Yeah, those people are tough to find nowadays.
0: Right? They they are. And you know, to, to your to your question about different people in different areas and and needing more than one person. Uh, I'm not sure if that's more true today than it was before. Maybe before it was about who, you know, to get a job. But the difficulty today is that most people don't have just one job over a lifetime. So, and most Americans change careers three or four times within a, you know, 40 year period. And that means careers, uh, not just uh, careers, but uh, industries. Most Americans change industries and careers several times, if not more, over a lifetime. So that means that, in a sense, because of that, we need to have connections in different areas. So I'm not sure if it's just more people because we're so scattered in what we do. I think it's more people we're scattered in terms of what we have to do.
3: Mhm. And I have, I have one more question for you. Sure. Um, I just wanted to know if you could tell us one thing that no one would ever guess about you. Uh, <laughs> uh, just a
1: little personal. Um
0: Well, I really I really mentioned it earlier, but you know, most people would never guess that I was that I was homeless. <laughs> Um, I didn't even really talk, started talking about that until maybe eight years ago uh, because I just didn't know if it was really all that relevant. And then I started to figure out that, Oh, well that, I know that was a difficult period. You know, what does that mean? Um, and so you're not going to guess that because uh, I'm successful uh, in business. Uh, and because um I don't look stereotypically, and I have to be very careful about that word, because that that it needs to be in there, uh, in this discussion. I don't look stereotypically like what someone you think is supposed to look like if they've experienced that. Um, and and I, I and I say that very, I say that I have to be very emphatic about that because um, we always have assumptions about what people look like if they've had certain experiences, and. We don't know a story until we've actually heard the story. So you don't know if someone's been, uh, um, you know, sexually abused in in an office space. You don't know if someone's been homeless, but they're still working as, you know, as a, a, you know, as a, and I've heard these stories before, you know, as, let's say, adjunct faculty. Um, I know two stories of adjunct faculty uh, at a college, which I, I won't name, who are, uh, you know, essentially living out of their car. How can you have that? How can you have professors who teach sociology who are homeless? That just that doesn't even make sense to me. So um, I think that uh, um, we we often have those assumptions. Uh, there are assumptions about doctors who are African American. Like you know, uh, there's a great Chicago Hope episode many years ago. Uh, it's probably way, way before your time. <laughs> I probably I not mean, even been born then. Um, but uh, Chicago Hope is a, basically a, a medical TV show. Uh it takes place in Chicago, of course, the hospital. And this one episode where this uh, African-American doctor uh, is pitted against a white uh, American doctor. And the patient, who is an elderly woman, a white elderly woman, says that she prefers the, the black doctor. And so the black doctor says, why me? And she says, because I know that you're better than she is. And of course, it leads to some laughter, but and then she said, and he's like, what do you mean better? And she said, well, not necessarily better, but I know that you've had to work that much harder to do as well as she was able to do. And of course, that may or may not be true, but that's the assumption. And so um, the problem is that uh, um, professional African-American people are not taken seriously often. Because the assumption is that they, you know, they they were underserved, underprivileged, or whatever it is. And even if they were, that doesn't mean anything, right? So um, all those assumptions are made. And when if you look at someone like myself, that you can't read that. That's nothing you can read. If I had a scar, you could see the scar. If I had, uh, you know, if I was blind, you could tell that I was blind. If you if I walked with a limp. If I um winced whenever someone raised their hand, you can maybe infer that something happened in my past. But when it comes to the psychology behind who we are uh, and PTSD, we don't know. You know we don't really know anything about who you meet until you get to know them. So people don't never even ask that question, you know, "Have you ever been homeless?" unless they've heard the story or if I've mentioned something about it, I think that's probably something that would be um, inspirational for those who feel left out.
3: Yeah, this is very inspirational. Um, Big ups to you on uh, on getting this far. And um, Mm. if anyone else has any questions, uh,
1: then I'll let them come in. But,
3: if no one has any other questions, then uh, I want to thank you, uh, Mr. Arboleta, for your insight on leadership in front of and behind the camera. And uh, I just want to say me and, you know, all of the other students, really other uh, students and I, I, really appreciate your time and uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about leadership. Well,
1: and- how would you sure. or-
0: and i i want to thank you too for for uh uh taking the initiative to to ask questions um and I invite all of you to connect with me however you can if you have any more questions if you'd like to um you know if you'd like to uh, um, even put together a list of other questions i'd be very very happy to respond to them um i i the thing I enjoy most Uh, as an adult (laughs) and as a leader and mentor and as a father. um, What I really enjoy is, is helping young people move forward. That's the thing that really keeps me going.
3: Well, you certainly helped us move forward today. I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.
2: Thank you for listening. And remember, you can talk about making a difference, you can take action to make a difference, or you can join Dynamic in doing both. Until next time, stay blessed and be inspired.